Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Eric Torres is a PhD student at Harvard University and a former sponsored rollerblader. Those unique interests, combined with a genuine desire to form healthy relationships and make a positive contribution to the world, are just a few of the things that make today's conversation so exciting. He did his undergraduate work at Washington University in St. Louis, then traveled around serving AmeriCorps and AmeriCorps Vista, as well as working in adult education in Austin, Texas. He then went on to a master's degree at Harvard University, where he joined Making Caring Common as an assistant. Making Caring Common is a nonprofit housed at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, led by advisors to the project Rick Weisbord and Stephanie Jones. We begin today's conversation talking about concussions and move very quickly into strange, interesting, and novel ways of approaching the world. I leave every conversation with Eric feeling creatively enriched and inspired to go put more good work into the world. We hope you enjoy today's conversation with great friend, academic, and thought leader, Eric Torres. To find out more about the Good Athlete Project, find us on social media at Coach the Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness, or at GoodAthleteProject.com. Yeah, so the concussion I had, it was a skating-related thing. It was, and it was like, I just, um, of all the ways that I could have thwacked my head when I, before I wore a helmet when I was skating, um, it was like one of the most mild. I just kind of like went over backwards at this little skate park. I was just kind of like standing on the ground, and I was like, whoops! Uh, and I just like went backwards. Um, what did you hit? Back of your head? Yeah, I hit the back of my head, and uh, um, I just sort of like pretty quickly lost consciousness. There was a lot of blood, um... And uh, I had amnesia for a while. I was like kind of whisked away to the hospital. Um, they stapled up my skull, uh, and I didn't, I, there was no brain damage they could tell from the scans, which is good. Yeah. Um, but for a while afterwards, like I was actually just talking to my parents about this on the ride home from the hospital. I don't remember any of it. Apparently, I was awake for all of this, but I, I don't remember any of it. Um, I was like asking the same question over and over again. I just sort of like regained consciousness like a day or so later in my bed at home. And I like my mom happened to be standing over me. I was like 19 at the time or something. Um, and I was like, oh my God, what happened? I must have hit my head. I like, know something happened to my head, but I don't remember the last month. I don't know like what's going really? on. Um, and then eventually almost all of my, mem- my memories came back up until the very moment of impact. And now I'm just missing like 24 hours. And I think really? that's permanently gone. But yeah. But everything else seems to be uh, in working order. Yeah, in working order. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah, it was one of the weirdest experiences in my life. Just sort of like the, the phenomenon of like... Uh, that was one of a couple times when my body stopped like working the way that you, you like think and expect it would. And mm-hmm. it, you sort of like... There's a, a, this visceral sort of like alienation from yourself. Um, yeah. Where it's just like, I don't know what I am anymore. But I, I, hmm. I realize that I'm like a thing, a biological thing with like that can be dismantled and, and like won't be this coherent. And it also just feels really, really weird to have your head. It's like a deep. It's like not a pain per se. There's. It's like hard to describe the qualitative sensation. But like having your like brain parts muddled just yeah. it was like an awful feeling and, and like a really. Once you regain consciousness, was there residual symptoms? Were there? I'm trying to remember. I think for a while, for like the first month, I was just like, I was like out of it. Yeah, I was kind of out of it. I think I was a little bit slow. And, and there was just like this lingering, um, again, it's so hard to describe because mm-hmm. like the, the usual sort of like metaphors that we use to, to talk about pain don't really apply because it wasn't exactly pain. Um, it was more just like, there's, I, I know deep within me, there's something that's like so not right. Like a, yeah. yeah. Like a slight fog with that be descriptive or wasn't as dramatic as that i don't know no i think a fog fog is good fog is like a good fog is good it was i i don't i didn't reach for fog because like i want the there was like a like heat and darkness and all of these other i mean like i guess that's maybe like a good way to do it like appealing just to the senses but um yeah it was like a really strange mix of feelings i didn't feel quite right and i knew that i was still like vulnerable and I think I was also sort of like philosophically reckoning with what was going on and like sort of emotionally dealing with the fact that like this thing that I'd been doing for a long time at the time I was like, okay, well I have to quit skating also. Hmm. Um, um, I, I didn't really think about, yeah. And then I 
didn't, but for a while it was just like a lot of things woven into one. So it's hard to tease apart specifically the impact of the concussion from the other stuff that was happening. Right. Um, so there's concussion screening for all sports now. Like you have to take a, a test, just sort of like a baseline test. Yeah. It's called the impact test. And then if you, if like a coach suspects that you were concussed on a play. Was this like at a high school level? Yeah. Okay. Collegiate as well. Okay. okay. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the NFL and NBA procedures are, but yeah. similar enough. Um, so you have to like, if you do get concussed, you have to like sit out uh, and they don't begin your return to play protocol until you can pass that test with the same sort of score. Okay. Um, the concern with that and similar things is that uh, it's user dependent. Like you have to like want on the on the baseline test, like you have to want to do well, and then on the back end, you have to want to do well again as much as you did the first time. And you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of variability there. Um, yeah. In fact, there was a kid, and I certainly don't endorse this. I think it's kind of stupid. He's a great kid, but it's stupid. Uh, who just deliberately passed like. Deliberately failed the baseline over and over, the initial baseline over and over and over again, so they couldn't get a read on him in case he ever did get concussed. It would be up to him, not this computer, uh, whether or not he was ready to go play. <laughs> so that's funny. There's something in the spirit of it that I appreciate, <laughs> that, but, I, like but I don't. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think it's appropriate. Uh, anyway, so um, Cynthia Labella is actually a researcher at Northwestern. She. Um, it was watching her talk that got me connected with Lurie's and a little bit of Northwestern football, which is where they did a lot of study on. Um, she's in the communications department. So one thing that they are doing is they're using sound waves to monitor concussions. So, and here's what it looks like. If you were to play a sound right now, say like you played a C on a piano yeah. and then measure your way, wa- the waves in your brain, like the reaction to it. Yeah. You could play your brain waves and it would sound like a C. Oh, it's wow. kind of weird. It, it, it's like it's they, they were doing it. They uh, it was it weird. sounded like a C, but with like white noise behind it. It was cool. Um, anyway, you can so you can do that. You can you can. There's a stimulus, and then your brain reacts in a certain way. When the brain is concussed, like the auditory systems are one of the first to be at least mildly affected. Uh, affected, oh, not effective. Affected. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hypothetically, I don't know what the measures were. They're like five. It was like decibel frequency, whatever they might be. Um, they can get a baseline now with this, uh, and then a, and then if you are concussed, they can pull you off to the sideline, and I think it's like I know they're trying to shorten it, but like say 15 minutes, they can get a similar reading and say, well, look, like this, the brain is not interpreting decibel at the same level that it once was in a significant enough way that yeah, yeah, probably yeah. there was some sort of damage, and there's no like the user doesn't do anything; the user just exists. So, like you hear and produce this wave, um, so it takes that variable out of it, and I think. The faster and cleaner they can do it. Are these machines the really expensive? I think they're pretty expensive right yeah. now. Yeah. But, I mean, that's everything starts expensive, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, it uh, feels like promising technology and also lends itself to what we're talking about. Like, I don't know I don't know how a, a sound wave is interpreted, but yeah. some people do. Yeah. Well, why don't we use that as a really healthy introduction to your skating career? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll talk about skating career first and I'll let that feed into like a more general kind of bio but i started skating when i was probably like 10 years old and it was like a fad when this is rollerblading specifically right um when yeah so like around the time like brink came out and like mm. rollerblading was on tv and it was cool and i was in, i'm in like fifth grade my friends all are buying rollerblades from the local shop at this point you can kind of get them anywhere they're in like all sorts of sports stores and every other kind of store and so we're like going and getting them and like grinding on bike racks and like the the whole <clears throat> associate it was like this really well marketed image of like teenageness and rebellion mm-hmm. and freedom um, and I just like I loved it you know you're like a fifth grade boy and it's the it was the most exciting thing in the world yeah. um, and so I started doing that and I, for a, a while for the first like three or so years I I really I was like oh I don't want to be associated this isn't like something that defines me I kind of like do this on uh, I don't like primarily identify in terms of skating and I'm not very good at it. I was terrible at it also like relative to all my friends I was really bad mm. um, and uh, so I, I kept my distance from it for a while until like I know, like ninth or 10th grade I, I sort of like started doing it a little more and like a lot of my other friends had quit um, but I was just like on the precipice of starting to feel like I could get 
I was getting better and uh, I I was starting to get more like immersed in the skate media too. I'd like I was using like Kazam and LimeWire mm-hmm. to download skate videos illegally on the early sort of like internet sharing yeah. services and um, was like starting to be really inspired by that stuff and thinking it was cooler and cooler. Um, and then all of a sudden I just kind of like something clicked and I my like ability went up pretty fast um and so i started to feel like okay i I have like the template of being good at this which was like really inspiring um and uh a couple of my friends and i started doing it like all the time it became all consuming and i ultimately wind up i was you know doing other stuff uh, in addition to i was playing soccer too and i I decided to quit I, i was playing it JV my like sophomore year or something I was like okay I'm not going to do that anymore I'm just going to skate I'm going to skate and I'm going to go to school and this is going to be like the person that I am um, and uh, yeah I did that for a while um, and I always there was always sort of like a tension for me recognizing that it was like kind of a nowhere like as opposed to with other professional sports that have more of like a healthy sort of sustainable future for them right. I knew that like my body was going to give out and I knew that like I couldn't really get paid doing this but I also had like personal aspirations. And so I, I started, I, I was struggling even then with figuring out what the balance would be like, but I, I also really wanted to like accomplish something. Um, so much about skating is like wrapped up in um, the production of like videos and like a creation of an image of yourself. And like that was really appealing to me at the time for a lot of different reasons. I just wanted to be able to like present an image of myself as someone I mean, it's hard to put it if you're figuring out exactly what it was, but mm-hmm. like the, um, uh, yeah, the, uh, the like competent athlete, like moving freely through the world. There's like a kind of like nonchalance. There's a kind of like counterculture association. There's like, um, I don't know. There are all sorts of things that I just wanted to grasp onto and then like plug that in with like what I was achieving at the time was like some early sort of like intellectual success. I was like starting to feel like I was like good at school, but I wasn't really investing very much time or energy in it um and so i had these two sort of competing tensions i was in college um and started talking to this guy i was at the, i'd been producing like little edits and videos and stuff with my friends just really sort of like amateur but really learning how to do it mm-hmm. and uh, got the attention of this guy who's the um international distributor for usd skates and i talked to him for a while um, and eventually i was like hey like do you want to sponsor me and he was like you know what actually yes we like we wow. have we have a spot um, this is, I was, happened to have been in Spain at the time, like studying abroad. And, uh, so I was, I was like so excited. I had my first skate sponsor, dream come true. Um, and it only, it only lasted for like six months. The whole, the team went under like all, there's like, it was kind of a disorganized process in the first place. I wasn't like really at a professional level in terms of my, like the video production I surrounded myself with, except for my one good friend, Ryan, who was like really probably like pretty influential in my stuff getting out there and was just super talented. Um, but I didn't consistently work with him. And so I wasn't really like deserving of this spot, I think. Um, but the whole team like disintegrated and that's around the time I graduated college and I was like, okay, uh, I'm probably not going to do this as much anymore. Um, and so in time since then, it's been sort of like a secondary part of my life, but something I still really care about. And like, uh, my understanding of of it has evolved and, um, but now it's sort of like a a physical art, um, Mm -hmm. that I don't get to practice as much as I'd like to. How often do you practice now? Man, I five, six, seven times a year. Seriously, from from what used to be like every single day. Now I go out like when there are events. There's the so you go into those things essentially cold. Yeah, really, pretty often. And when when yeah. I say those things, um, tell us what those are. Those competitions. So um, there, I, I like go to around here. So my, one of my good friends growing up who's like really influential in the skate scene up here in new england started the skate shop um and like runs the hill every year is puts on like little skate contests um and they're not like really a big it's not like a big deal it's not a big draw um but i'll like go out and like compete still um and uh and sometimes i'll go to street contests too i grew up like in my teens and early 20s i would go to street contests more regularly and i was never i've never been like a very good competition skater i always felt like my like what i was best at was like um putting together like video parts that and even that i feel like i've never achieved like i've really achieved a product that i'm proud of but i i I feel like i approached like 
I approached some some good stuff, but I, I'm yeah, I, um, running multiple sort of ideas at the same time here. But yeah, I'm not much of a competition skater, but I do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, yeah, I just kind of go in cold because I'm not really practicing very much. It's incredible, and you come home with placements and checks that are associated with those placements. Yeah, I was being a real pretentious snob uh, and got a big oversized check for my first, which is like, it, it's so funny because it looks, there were like 10 people competing in this contest, like it was not that big of a deal, but I got, you know, I got first place the first year, I, I moved out to Cambridge here and uh, um, just in this like little street thing and I like paraded my big check around. I think it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm happy to know you, I, bra- I brag about that check all the time, so. <laughs> Um, I think there's something so interesting about the highlight reel stuff. The high, I say highlight reel, like the skate video stuff. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's an entry into another part of a conversation. I don't want to cut off any additional bio stuff. That no, you no, that's, that's, yeah. That's the primary? That's a, that's a skating bio, yeah. Okay, fair. Uh, we'll get into other stuff as well. But the, um, the video relative to competition, so like the video stuff, um, it is a highlight reel essentially, right? But more than maybe That's any really other highlights, like so, for example, if a football player or a basketball player wants to get recruited, they'll make a very a brief highlight video that's entertaining enough to have a coach then watch their game film. If that makes sense. Um, the skate world is like that's what those videos highlight reels, and I think what might go underappreciated is like how many attempts it takes to land like one mm. awesome trick in the way that you want it to be done. Yeah, is that fair? Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I think it's really interesting to think about it as a highlight reel, which is not, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I think it's obvious. It's like totally true. I think especially in the, when you get to the editing process, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're like, you're cutting down, you want to have the best of the things that you've produced and happen to capture. But I think as opposed to at least how I imagine, like with football, it's not like you can start a game and be like, okay, today I'm going to get a catch that's shot from this right. angle that like shows this side of my ability. It's like you, you're hoping that like that's out there. I assume, I mean like maybe, yeah, that's right. you're right. Um, but like there's so much like the aesthetic side um, of, of skating uh, for people who are like really intentional about video production um, is just so front and center that like it's very much like you're thinking about the end product um, as oftentimes like as you're going out to skate you're like okay mm-hmm. I have a vision of this section in my mind um, and I have these like tricks that I want to do I have like an ambiance that I want to sort of like pass on um, sometimes like whether that's laden with like different kinds of emotions like grief or sadness or like joy or com- like camaraderie I think people don't often mm-hmm. I think talk in those terms but I think they're like thinking about that mm-hmm. as you know they're, they're they're feeling like what this edit is going to feel mm-hmm. like um and uh yeah it, i'd say it's like this sort of like primary token of the sport um is which maps on really well to the psychology that you were ta- tapping into before um about like you're saying how it's like it's perfect for adolescents it's like yeah. the counterculture athlete. It's like yeah. you can tap into your physical self. You can be this like being moving throughout the world. Uh, and if you are, let's say hypothetically, this might apply, you're good at school and you don't want to like wear the letter jacket and be that guy, but you do have like a physical side to yourself. Yeah. It's the perfect adolescent counterculture version of athleticism. And it, in, in, it is in part the creation of like a self. It's like identity, yeah. Yeah. discovering identity. And, and that... Um, so highlight reel might be dumbing it down, but I mean, isn't isn't like what's going on right now on Instagram and all that kind of stuff? Isn't that a kind of a version of it? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, I mean, a couple of things. One, I think I think that your the emphasis on identity, and I know that's a word that gets tossed around all the time right now, um, but I think it is so much of like an identitarian culture, like mm-hmm. um, more than most sports. Like this is in, in some t- in ways that have like struck me over the years is oftentimes like unhealthy, especially for myself. Like I, I realized that I was trying to like create a self that I could see on the screen that was like different than the person that I felt like sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I, I was like buying into stuff that I wasn't like, does it really have healthy substrates? Is this real? Like what, um, there, there can be like an aesthetic 
obsession. There can be an obsession with like mm-hmm. who you are and how you present in a way that's like not healthy and pulls away from the sort of like focus on the actual technical act of skating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an incredibly voyeuristic culture. Um, I, but I think you're exactly right that like that, but all of those things are, are some of the things that make it um, for kids of that age, um, like super appealing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it interestingly, like all, all skate cultures, rollerblading in particular, but everything has fallen off quite a bit in the last like, you know, 15 sure. years. Um, even skateboarding numbers aren't aren't what they used to be, and a lot of the people who are doing it are, have like aged up with it. Like there are many fewer yeah. young kids joining, um, and I don't I don't totally know why that is. I just I think part of it is just like the cultural moment we're in. Like it's not I, it's hard to reproduce like the, yeah. the sort of like needs that people felt in that generation. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think all of that is is spot on. I like. I would love to dig into that too, like how that maps on to even like like I'm picturing like the music scene, how perfectly all of that yeah fit together, and how overproduced everything is now, and why perhaps that's taken a backseat. But we won't, don't have to go into it. Um, well, I will just say, just jumping in on that, this is not something I've really thought about much. But I, there is a lot of overlap. Like at least when I was younger, like a lot of people would quit skating to become musicians or they would like hmm. there I, I do think there's like a similar there's like a similar sort of like cult of personality or mm-hmm. I, I mean I'm, this sounds like more negative maybe than I mean it to be but like they both fulfill similar psychological needs yeah. um, and they're they're both sort of like technical they're both like expressive um, and they both have to do with like self-presentation so, I think so too so yeah. the self-presentation thing super interesting like I bet if you ask someone who the the to name two skateboarders, if they really, really had to think about it, I bet, uh, or, or skaters, I know we're talking about skaters in general, but yeah. skateboarders, I say it because skateboarders jump out to me, because yeah. the most famous of all, um, and anyone in this genre of sport is Tony Hawk, is that yep. fair? Yeah, definitely. And he's actually legitimate, he's like one of the best ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then the next one that just jumped out to me might be Bam Margera, <laughs> right? So, which is in alignment to this, so uh, this video yeah, thing, because yeah, like, yeah. Um, Forget all like the recent movies like paired up with Johnny Knoxville and all that stuff. I remember watching CKY yeah. on VHS <laughs> in my friend too, Jim Delaney's yeah. uh, place. Like, I wonder how that that talks to the Instagram culture right now because what I and I don't know how to break it down the way you or my friend Jim would, but um, from what I heard, like Bam was he was never like he was good. He was legitimate. He like had crossed a certain a certain level into the professionalism, but. He was certainly not the best skateboarder out there. However, everyone knew his name because he had nailed that. He had nailed the presentation. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to say like how good Van Margera was relative to other people because I, I just don't like have as good of a touch for, for skateboarding as I do for, for rollerblading. Even though I had a lot of friends who are, are like really good skateboarders and mm-hmm. um, kind of grew up in skate parks alongside a lot of people. My sense, honestly, recently looking back, is that Van Margera was pretty good. Like he was, he had like earned his. Yeah. pro skater spot which is not a small feat especially because I think competition in skateboarding was much was higher than it was in rollerblading just because there are more people mm-hmm. um, I do, but I also have the sense that that's right that he was not like you know he's not probably going to like win any contests of any kind you know uh, maybe I'm wrong about this but like it, it, the thing with him was was exactly that like and I think that's kind of like an ear like that moment has also passed like the jackass CKY yeah. um, like him being a part of that was was absolutely essential to his celebrity like it was those two things kind of intertwined and that was also just like the moment that the action sports were in back then was like a really kind of like and now looking back on it it's like some of it's like pretty shitty and juvenile and like yeah um yeah you know um that's that is that much is pretty clear yeah (laughs) but 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 it also does it like was it sort of like licensed to just like go watch i mean i think The one one of the things about skating that I've constantly returned to and that like has I think been one of the greatest gifts that it's given me is to treat like the world like a playground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you take that impulse to like the conclusions of the sort of hedonistic thirteen year old boy with not a lot of like good structure or whatever, then it's like you're pushing shopping carts at old people or something. I don't know. Right, right, but right. but it's like that that there's something like really intoxicating about the idea that like the world is there to get like as wild in as you want and like recreate those like structures of play from when you're a little kid. Mm-hmm. But but with in in the sort of like guise of this burgeoning sort of like adolescent sense of like 
self and rebellion and like a broader sphere of contact. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I sometimes wonder like why kids today, like that doesn't appeal as much. And I do, yeah. I honestly think part of it is like they are sated by different kinds of like electronic pleasures <laughs> yeah. um, that like sort of keep us docile, um, yeah. which is like, sounds maybe conspiratorial. Say, no, I don't think it is. I think it's exactly yeah. right because you can do things digitally that you couldn't do actually that you never have been able to do. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's getting so good. Like um, we're looking at a, what is that? An N64? Yeah. Like that uh, was, Super Nintendo. That was yeah. Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. That was fun as hell, but that doesn't do what the technology now does. Like yeah. the experts of attention are here. Yeah. And, um, and I was pointing to my phone during that, uh, but like, <laughs> it's true. like, doesn't, f- I've never played Fortnite, but don't you start Fortnite by like jumping out of a helicopter? You know what Fortnite is? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I you think that's jump right. Out of, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, these are these like, yeah, I think, I think sated is the right word. They are, if you spend an hour engaged with that, you don't have the urge to like, like leave the house and jump off something. I had this thing. This is so weird. This is really dumb compared to the things that you do. But like, I just had this thing. Whenever I would get bored in my house, there's this window, and I just wanted to jump out of that. Yeah, window. totally. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I had to jump right. off. The, yeah, yeah. It was. It was like it wasn't very high, so like I yeah. knew the outcome. I had a pretty good idea. Was I roll my ankle? But like, I just wanted to like I want to leave the house and go do something, but I don't want to use the door. Like, I, want to go, <laughs> I want to go out that window. Uh, and yeah, and I would like climb up on the garage and just like random stuff like that. I don't. Yeah, I wonder if. Uh, those chords are struck in different ways, um, and that's why we're seeing the downfalls I, in those sports. Yeah, I, I tell, I yeah, um, I think it's probably like there's probably a lot more going on, but I also really, really do think that um, right. maybe that's a small player. But I, I think player. it's I think it's, I do think it's an important one because like the driver for me for some of this stuff was definitely like boredom. Mm-hmm. Like you're, I, I'm like bouncing around. We like don't me and my friends. We like didn't. We'd like come home and be like, we could play video games for a little while or we could like do whatever, but they weren't nearly as well designed or addictive right. as they are now. Right. So they wouldn't keep us, even though we played, like, I don't want to, I played a lot of video games as a kid too, but like, it was just like, okay, like we have this restless energy and there isn't that, that much stuff um, to do. Like, I really kind of want to hurl myself off the fence. Like, yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Or like, let's set up yeah. a grind rail. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Um, and I do think like, I, I see, I like, I right now, embarrassingly, I, I resisted smartphones for a long time, but a few years ago, I got my first one, and um, it's, I, I can spend a long time looking at it. For a while, I was really good at it. I don't even have any, like, cool stuff on it, yeah. um, but I, I can just, I will numbly scroll, um, and it, it's just, like, so well designed, it keeps my attention, it, like, numbs some of the feelings that I'm having, I'm feeling anxious, or I want to avoid doing other things, or, like, it is an incredible refuge and, and an easy way to waste time. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing, I don't know. I guess I'm also probably like out of touch with what 13, 14-year-old boys are I don't think you are. I think you can, you see it accurately enough. I think we get too engaged. Once we dig into it, I think people get engaged enough and understand it enough to explain away their bad habits. Yeah. Because I think if you see it from the outside, um, I've said this many times before, like like I said, the, the, the most intelligent, um, productive human beings on the face of the planet, unfortunately, are probably not running countries they are they're getting paid big bucks to steal and retain our attention. Yeah, like that's, that's like they're they're just incredible at it. And uh, there's a book out there called Irresistible. I wish I knew the name of the author. Um, they talk all about how like um, Bill Gates and uh, Evan Williams, who is not just a whiskey producer, he's also the uh, inventor of Twitter. Oh, Twitter, I didn't know that. How how these guys. They, they don't allow their kids to engage I'm with sure. the things that they design. I'm sure. Because yeah. they know exactly what they're doing. It's like, yeah. uh, you're, you're right. You can, in fact, I'll show you some of this stuff if you're, after this, if you're interested. But like, if you're on, if you're going through Instagram, say, or Facebook, the way face, you can scroll through Facebook, there's always just like a sliver of what's next at the bottom or top of the screen. It's never just like a boom, here it is, deal with it. It's like a, it, it's always, it, like the scroll, the up motion with your thumb is a constant. And they're freaking geniuses. Yeah, it's incredible and saddening and time wasting. Yeah, um, we not to not to hijack this, but like lack of sleep is an actual epidemic. I think. Yeah. Um, I think you know we, we have totally. this bedrock of performance thing that I've presented on many times. And it's like every the, the high order performance goals that we're trying to achieve are uh, multivariant. They have so many components, but they're really it's a build to get at the top level of anything. You work your way up a framework, and at the be- base of that framework is like eat, move, sleep. Because your psychology, your productivity, all that stuff is 
in, somehow always related to your physiological state. Yeah. So like, and and the easiest way to explain this is like spend like sleep for three hours. Don't don't like stay up all night because that's like too easy. But like sleep for like three or four hours a couple nights in a row and see like how good you are at anything. Yeah. Engage like relationships, anything. Um. So and I say that because one thing that is really cutting into the sleep of people who even under who understand it is this. Like yeah. You 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 lay in bed for an hour doing absolutely nothing just completely mind-numbing stuff um yeah plus hit with blue light and all the other complications that come with with that sort of stimulus but yeah it's an issue yeah 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 i I, um i think regularly about how to disentangle myself from it as an adult um and i think like it's both easier and harder as an adult. Like I feel like I have more perspective on it and a little bit more like autonomy mm-hmm. um, and a little, probably more impulse control. But I also, um, you know, like as, as kids who are like growing up with this and becoming like early formative periods are just like, you know, spending a huge amount of times doing admittedly like quasi fun stuff on the phone. I don't want to mm-hmm. say it's actually fun because I think it's not, it's like something that feels like it should in fact be fun, but it isn't. <laughs> right. Um, which, like you, you've very eloquently pointed out, there are people who are just like making so much money designing um, very effectively. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, well, how about this? Instead of that, they should be doing, I don't know if they need to be um, skating, but you have some pretty interesting ideas on like how interaction with one's like geography, one's like environment uh, affects the way that they are. Can you expand on that? Yeah, definitely. And I do, I think that's actually like a pretty good tangent. I, I think it was built in part from skating. And it's also sort of like, uh, I mean, it was definitely, it's like an experiential idea that came from remembering the feeling of being a little kid and being like captivated by the texture of the sidewalk or like the interplay of like light in the trees. Like those, ex- those early experiences that I think most of us can remember where it's just like the world around us was, um, we couldn't like it wasn't even that we were trying to explain it it just like fell upon us in in like ways that were immediately captivating in in ways like that are not like the experience of looking at a screen um Mm -hmm. but um some of my ideas so i guess the the seed for this um and jim was influential in this was when i was here so I, i went my work I worked for a while in like nonprofits and education after I graduated college and then I decided I was like wanted to focus more on like learning and so I came to um, Harvard's master's program and while I was here in education um, and while I was here I was like starting to I also my, my background is in philosophy my undergrad was in philosophy I, I thought about like ethics and sociopolitical stuff but I realized that like what happens in philosophy departments is really weird um, and like doesn't really seem to determine how like when what people deliberate about and like argue about in philosophy classrooms doesn't really seem to line up with like how people live their lives it seemed like an intellectual exercise but it also felt like really good to me and so I had these sort of like conflicting feelings about it um, and while I was here um, and based on some of the other experiences I had doing work in education I came to realize that there's some like something about like presence and, and argument and like environment like all of these things uh, you, you could like create an experience of like real like wonder like philosophical wonder and, and like learning and sort of like appreciation of where you're at which all sounds like kind of fuzzy and like maybe not that meaningful but I think um, when it comes together it's like really intuitive uh, by, by having like these old style I was also like reading I was rereading like Plato and Aristotle um, and, and like in the Aristotelian and Socratic Platonic tradition uh, like the way that people sort of like not learned about the world, but like honed their ideas about the world was just sort of like sitting around and like bantering with other people. Um, or at least that's like how it was dramatized for these early like philosophical texts. And I was like, God, like I've done that. And I'm doing, I realized that like Jim and I and our other friends, we were kind of like, that was where the most like meaningful sort of like learning that we were doing outside of the sort of classrooms was happening. And, um, so we started doing these like walking philosophy, like debates basically when it was like pretty loose and it was like not um, designed to be overwhelming for people who haven't done philosophy. But the idea was kind of like, let's just get out in the world and like, let's get weird and let's like talk about stuff that's interesting to us and like, let's argue about it and see where it goes and see what we can learn. And uh, um, that, that 
has sort of become like a cornerstone of my educational practice and something that I'm interested in um, academically. I'm now in a PhD program where I'm like, that might be something that I'm kind of like focusing on and trying to do research on and trying to promote which things um, maybe are, are competing impulses. But um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I think there are a lot of sort of like, I, I can cite research to, to back up what I'm doing. I can cite like intellectual traditions to back up what I'm doing. But ultimately what it kind of comes down to is that like the, um, this, it's an exercise in, in sort of like intellectual and physical presence um, with other people that can, that, just, that feeling is just incredibly stimulating. You know, it's just like we're here now and everything's new. Um, and like we're actually in this moment and it's we're not going through like some prescribed routine where we know where we're going to end up. We're like physically moving throughout the environment and getting distracted and like noticing things and like changing the subject. Um, and uh, all of that winds up being like a pretty cool way to spend time. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I love. Um... Okay, there's so many things that I want to talk about. One of them is like how well that aligns with I think modern mindfulness. Yeah. Right. In like, it, like we're not talking about things sourced from the Bhagavad Gita in in the current instantiation of what mindfulness looks like. Yeah. I think because the purists refer back to the old text and say, well, that's not mindfulness, and we don't need to add neuroscience to to this conversation. Yeah. But the pe- but if we believe it's good for people, um, then the next. Uh, round of adopters and the next round of people who might be able to benefit from this might need some backing they might need some research and, and um, it, it, regardless so uh, the reason I bring this up is because I don't even know if I I'm not sure if I've told you this but um, we just surveyed some of the kids that we did a movement based mindfulness training with yeah. last year so it's not walking talks it's not a, as advanced as that Yeah. but we essentially had a group of students who have um, attention and emotional needs. Uh, they're, they have a higher needs. So they're, for that reason, they're in a separate class, um, at least for a portion of their schedule. Um, most of them for like most of their schedule. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. Um, and what we were sort of tasked to do with them was, um, you know, everyone hears about mindfulness and how it's good for attention and essentially being like the calm in the storm and, and, and just bringing, coming back to basics and observing non-judgmentally um, the world like you're talking about so we were asked to start a mindfulness practice with a group of students who are sort of dog-eared as the ones that can't pay attention so we're like we're like this how is this gonna work we're gonna ask the kids who can't pay attention to sit down and pay attention and that's gonna help them pay attention better like there's got to be something else here yeah so the stuff that you and I have talked about a lot the um, exercise induced neural enhancement to put a fancy name on it but like using movement to get into a different sort of state um we start all of those sessions with mindful movement so even if it's just like like walking lunges or something like that like all of a sudden not only are they moving getting rid of some of their anxieties they're talking they can talk stuff out just kind of like writing away test anxiety you can talk away like what you're thinking about Mm -hmm. the upcoming session or what happened during the day uh and now you're thinking about like joint alignment and posture and just like moving through space right until we get to a certain and you, it's just like the process of reading the room until we can get to a place where we can maybe sit down and do some breathing yeah. uh, and things like that so a different version but certainly inspired by your work yeah and I think I'm I'm glad you brought that up I feel I should have met, I think like the motion part of it is like really really essential um, and I, I didn't really mention that when you were first talking about it but I, I do think that's like super super important and like one of the it, so much of the way that educational materials are designed right now doesn't at all think about like the fact that the people learning it are embodied like that they're things with bodies that have like uh that are in a physical space when all of this is happening i mean that people think about it in the sense that like okay we need 12 markers and a whiteboard or something but Mm -hmm. it's like uh there's so much more going on here and and, uh um yeah i I think that there's like so there's a lot of wisdom and and important like work in the research and that you're doing um so I'm I'm not like an expert on, on that part. I have like intuitions about it. Sure. Um, but like I, I totally um yeah, I'm I'm and, I'm hundred percent. And you'd think that enough people would have the same intuition, but set like and I and I've noticed this like being back involved in organizations, like intuition isn't enough. Like you yeah. have to you have to yeah. back it. You have to back up your rationale with research, then pilot it, and supplement the research with like the on the ground stuff in order to get an initiative passed and then like you have to create feedback loops to figure out how effective the initiative 
ultimately is. Yeah. Um, so I wish we didn't, but like, not to go off on too big of a tangent here, but like, I do feel like we have set ourselves up for disaster, kind of. We, we have died, like, we're, America in particular, um, I shouldn't say in particular, this is not a political, this is, but we as a human species are just like, we hit ourselves in the face with self-imposed disease that are that are linked heavily to diet and activity level and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I can't help but think that we kind of teach that mm. like from a pretty early age. Like once you can wrangle kids and get them to settle down, even kind of, you, like you sit them down all day and that's like what they do. Um, it's pretty terrible. And then like, imagine this, imagine like a, a high achieving person, someone who wants to like follow your path and like and do what you're doing in terms of like academically. That per, that kid probably has to um, like sit in class all day, focus, maybe take a heavy class load, AP classes, etc. cetera. Yep. Um, make sure that you study and do all your homework and all that stuff. Plus probably see a, uh, like an ACT prep tutor, SAT tutor, uh, in addition to all that. So like the bulk of your day, the large, like the vast majority of your day is spent sitting Um, and then you sleep and then you sit again and like and then we see people who go into and in the workplaces most workplaces are designed similarly like the Google workplace is like it's almost like a buzzword or a joke right now but really they're the only like one of the few companies that has the guts to like scrap the old thing look directly at the research and say profit is the only thing that we want production for more people is the only thing that we want so forget like sitting at a desk all day Anyway, uh, but those who do sit in the desk all day, then what do you do? Like you have a 45 minute lunch break or whatever and you get the most convenient food that's available to yep, you. Yep. And it's just like this self-degrading thing. All of a sudden you're like 68, um, unfit, you know, unhealthy in a variety of ways yep. and your brain and body no longer work because we've forgotten, like you said, that we are embodied. Like we're, we're, we, ha- we can't shake this thing yep. really but we neglect it completely in the design of a lot of these spaces. I also think it's so, like, you're making me think about the way that even, like, I I do think people who are active oftentimes also sort of, like, compartmentalize activity. Like, there's, I I do this, too. Like, like active time is when I go to the gym. Right. Um, and, And, like, if I do not go to the gym, if, like, that becomes a luxury that I can no longer you know fit into my day then it falls away rather mm-hmm. than like the thought sort of like that we need to move around like permeating our, our day and our activities and like the design of other things i mean i get it that it's hard um but it also maybe it's maybe it's not like if if you just if it's more of like a bottom-up intuitive sort of like rather than us trying to design an act like a perfect like um like how to do math problems while also on a rowing machine, like mm-hmm. just allowing people Stuff, to move yeah. around or, yeah. or build, there are other ways to build it in than, than mm-hmm. having to sort of like synthesize though. I think some sort of synthesis might be really smart designs mm-hmm. too, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I wonder like the fact like the fact that it's hard is a concern. Like it's not hard. There's no, there are no babies. There are no kids who like don't want to move. Right. Um, they're trained not to. In fact, a lot of the research, most of the research, anytime a brain is cut up, to attract this stuff, it's in rats, obviously. Mm, yeah. And one of the most like compelling sub stories to me, I don't know how it's not like widely spread, but like you track um, like uh, neurochemical production levels in rats and yeah. whatever, and see if their brain has grown and, and whatever. But one of the things that jumped out in the stories of, of all these experiments was that like they would they would deprive certain rats of movement. They wouldn't put a running wheel in their cage. And then, like, say there's two groups. There's the control and there's um, whatever. You put a rat in the cage, uh, uh, a wheel in the cage, and you don't put a wheel in the cage. With the wheel in the cage, there was no such thing. There has never been such a thing as a rat who did not take the opportunity to move. Like, that's one thing that's, like, that, that I don't think can be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Like, when given the opportunity, we're, like, super mobile. That's what we do. And we're not too far from that. I think humans are not. Um so that might be like a That's staring us in the yeah, face yeah. obvious thing, but I think it's one thing, it's a thing that we don't recognize. Um, it's completely artificial, the sitting still thing. Uh, uh, I was just thinking about, so we are talking about concussions and we were talking earlier about like my my own experience with my brain getting kind of smooshed, um, <laughs> which is a technical term. Um, and I was just thinking about like, 
how that how like injury um and the experience of injury like how that uh affects or how at least it affected my sort of like motivations um mm-hmm. and like what i do um and how i think about the world and specifically concussions there's something weird about getting your, your brain whacked well, let's open um, it up then i because i actually i don't know if i sent this to you did i send you that did i send you the article i wrote on tyler holinsky i don't think so um okay open that up then because i think there's good stuff to be had there um, on. how did it make you feel well i don't know i'm sort of just i'm 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 just thinking about whether, like I was saying earlier that I think there is insufficient attention to like place and space and movement and like sort of the, the like blowing up of um, what we think of as like a, a classroom space. All the, a lot of the things we take for granted about like how we're learning and why we're learning and like what it is that we're doing when we're in conversation with other people and, and where it's like when it isn't, isn't okay to be spontaneous. And I'm thinking also that some of that probably, like some of my intuitions about that probably came from my experience with like my own sort of like brain and my mortality. Um, and, uh, I don't really know where to go with that. Um, because I, I don't want to concuss other people, um, <laughs> necessarily. Um, but I also think there's something, there's something like, valuable sometimes about, like, um, the rattling you experience. Or at least it can, like, assuming you, like, get over that rattling, um, mm-hmm. it, it can, like, lead to some of the conversations that we're having today. Um, which I, I really don't know what my point is with this. Because I don't feel like I have one. <laughs> uh, That's fair. But That's okay. It is, uh, I think, one of the... One of the things that I appreciate about you so much is is kind of like what just happened. Is like uh, like why not throw this out into the world? This idea and see if we can like kind of crystallize a concept through it, or maybe maybe pick it up, pick that thread up down the line somewhere. But like with the idea that we don't have to have the exact right answer right now, and it doesn't have to come to a full stop. This is the thought, and I'm sticking by it. Yeah. I think there's something really healthy about that. I think, like, I'm not going to name any names here, but some people that I really care about, uh, just people in general, when you have that, you just sound like an asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, when, you, yeah, when yeah. you have that about everything. Have you ever been in a conversation with people who are like, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know what the term is, but they're just like, they, you know that they kind of get the base level of what you're saying. They don't understand it in, in its complexity um, for whatever reason. Maybe you, in my case, more than yours. Maybe I'm not articulating it well enough. But like, they don't get it in the in the way that you see it. Yeah. But you know they have a passing understanding of it. And then they give you like the, yeah, I get it sort of thing. And it's like infuriating. And I'll give you an yeah, example. Yeah. I was at um, the yeah, Illinois yeah. State Clinic presenting on exercise-induced neural enhancement last year, last fall. Yeah. And it, we, had, we had done some on-field we had done some really cool stuff. I presented it in a way that I thought was effective. I got fantastic feedback. I got asked to the national convention thereafter and a few more state, like, like really cool stuff. And then I'm walking out in the, in the, um, I'm walking through the parking lot and I see someone I know who is an administrator from wherever. And, uh, this person goes, well, how did it go? And I gave like a really brief rundown. Yeah. And he's like, Oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You move around, you feel better. I get it. <laughs> and it was like I was like okay, I I, um, I had to compose myself because I was like I wanted to say terrible things. It's like I don't think you do get it. Like I know you know what these words mean. I know you know what exercise yeah. means. I know I know you know what brain means or whatever. But I but I'm not sure how you see how this all fits together. And I think one, and I I think in those conversations I would push for like I, I don't think you get to the place you need to be without a more comprehensive understanding. So like you get that exercise and movement and, yeah. and the brain are like related whatever totally fine and probably a good starting place but there's a reason that physical education is being challenged in the educational system in the way that it is now and I hope that any PE teachers uh, that are listening to this take this in in like the most positive um, way possible like we just got to be better at it Mm. we we, like you can't I'm not a PE teacher so I don't I don't mean to say say, uh, we in that way I don't have the credentials I'm not um necessarily in that field but i'm certainly right beside it and 
like if we don't get it well enough, we don't see positive positive enough benefit and therefore it's no longer funded. And that's like the dismantling of physical yeah, education yeah. is going on right now. And that is completely counter to what you and I are talking about. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, like I, I also, I'm like sighing as I'm hearing this because I, I, I my, so many of my impulses, which like mean I'm in potentially like where I just see them through and the lo- wrong line of work is that like, I don't want to participate in like the evaluative bureaucracies that like are required to justify some of these yeah, things. There's just, this is like the most unscientific thing I've ever said. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to do the science. I just like want to, yeah, yeah. it feels good. Like, uh, but, um, I, I think that's exactly, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And there's like this, yeah, there, we have to kind of like strike a balance between, um, like real, openness on the one hand like you started that anecdote out talking about like people who are are too quick to sort of like want to close an issue Mm -hmm. um and and pretend to or or whether or not they truly believe they have like a full understanding of it and that's like pretty deeply incurious and i think also like one of my other yeah that might be the worst part about it yeah yeah um I, I'm like a big philosophically. I really believe in ignorance. I'd be, I'd be like the smartest people of us, you know, the, the old Socratic. All my references are to the ancient philosophy, which is uh, timely. Doesn't yeah, exactly. Doesn't like get me very far. But um, like the whole like Socratic idea that like his greatest virtue, like Socrates, the character of Socrates, was that like he knew that he didn't know that much. I that continues to be true. Like the more that I learn about sciences, and the more that I learn about like the way that we operate, the more important I think it is to have like a sort of openness and and like a um a healthy disposition to our ignorance um also to obviously understand like when findings are robust and not to like dispute things that are well established um or or, Mm -hmm. like to engage in sort of like broad science skepticism but like balancing that with uh that sort of like intellectual humility with the a recognition of the need to sort of like justify things via the terms that like bureaucracies accept in order to like enable people to have these experiences that they aren't otherwise going to have because it's like other things are more easily justifiable by those same bureaucracies and will will easily like supplant the kinds of like um you know more more holistic and and like embodied visions of what like learning and living look like uh it's a it's tough balance um but I, I do think I think it's kind of incumbent on all of us to figure out how to do it. Um, so I, I like that. I'm 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 inspired by that message, Jim. Um, okay. I'm gonna try to remember some of Alex's lightning round questions. Okay. Because uh, he's not unfortunately not here with us today, but the lightning round has become an essential part of the podcast. I feel like you're here with me though, Alex. <laughs> he's, he does have that <laughs> way about him. <laughs> uh, the uh, and like. All of our listeners, like my mom and Alex's mom. <laughs> uh, you can add my mom to this when she finds out that I was on a podcast. She will listen to each and every one of these. Three, all three <laughs> listeners will be disappointed if we don't do a lightning round. So, uh, very quickly, uh, first concert you ever went to? Oh, uh, great question. Answer Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> really? God. Name one Weird Al song, please. Uh, Amish Paradise by Weird Al Yankovic. I think that was, that was yeah. like a yeah. classic. Yeah. Um, favorite book and movie. Separate questions. Book and movie, unrelated to your field. And we usually ask that to cool. like coaches and researchers who are very who have it kind of nailed down. So go far away from whatever, whatever we've been talking about. I'm going so far. So another thing, didn't come up at all, but I love fiction. I try to write fiction. I'm uh, not great at it. But my I love... Um, that is fiction. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I just wove a fiction. How about that? A little meta for you, Alex. Um, the, uh, one of my favorite books, I'm, I'm looking right now in front of me at Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garmisio Marquez, mm-hmm. um, which I haven't read yet, but 100 Years of Solitude is, is mm-hmm. like one of the sort of like pinnacles... Of, I mean, I think it does embody a lot of this philosophical stuff that I was talking about, so maybe that's cheating. But uh, Hundred Years of Solitude is amazing. Um, to the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, I love. I'm yeah. just listing fiction. Uh, uh, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. I didn't understand all of it, and, but it like was was really uh, exciting and and like just like so complex. I was just like staring at something that was like beyond my beyond my reach and just felt like so rich. Um, 
Yeah, I like I like a lot of modernist stuff. I like a lot of postmodernist stuff. So this is kind of keeping with the theme. Like the question was one book. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he said, "Just forget you rules." <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Years. Fine. I'll do it. The one book. We'll go hundred years of solitude. I love okay, that one. that's a solid yeah. one. Uh, and movie. What about movie? Um, I really loved for a long time. I don't really have a. I'm not gonna tell. The, I don't know what the true answer to this is, but like the answer that I sometimes give to this is I love Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, and which is also very much like Marquette. It's like a magical realist sort yeah. of magical realism really speaks to me right now. Um, so I'll go. I'll go with that. We'll keep them together. Okay. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth. The, the favorite movie one is a very difficult one. Yeah. You know how I always and this pisses people off. Um, in fact, someone asked me on a 4th of July barbecue. I'm sorry to hijack your lightning. Um, uh, it's more like lightning in the distance. I know, I was going to try to make like a... Yeah, I couldn't I was, do I, it. I don't know what it was. Uh, um, I, so I, I was in a bar, uh, at a barbecue uh, in someone's backyard on 4th of July, and they, yeah. uh, they were doing like this round table thing like this. People had a couple beers, and they were just like, boom, firing off questions. I was like, I can't answer that question. I can yeah. tell you some of the most impactful movies on my life. I can tell you the ones that I was most affected by, uh, but it's completely relative to the time of my life and people are like, snoring. Yeah, I can tell you that, right? <laughs> but it's true. Those sorts of questions. Yeah. Never ask people these questions. Yes. Alex. <laughs> Alex. Uh, these are impossible questions. You're going to get unrepresented answers. People hate them. But uh, they're good questions yeah. also. They are good. Um, okay. A daily habit that really speaks to like, th- that you feel like makes you successful. And, oh, and for a lot of people, what this looks like, for real, and, I, and I've noticed this, if you say that to people and they've got it, they either mean it or they're lying to you, which is hard to flesh out. But <laughs> mostly, I think you could ask the question a different way. Like, maybe it's like the one thing that if you didn't do it every day would kind of detract. Maybe maybe it's like for exercise or something. Yeah. Along those lines. Um, I See, I this is my, the like worst one of the things that I, I am worst at, and I think it ha- there's like an opposite side to this coin that is is uh, helps produce some positive things in my life. But like I'm I'm my day to day I'm not very regimented. Um, I mean, there are lots of things that I do. I like brush my teeth, um, but like check. Yeah, that doesn't feel like it gets quite to the level where we're <laughs> what I'm shooting for here. I think I do think I think exercise to me has become a really big one. I like have grown to love going to the the gym um and and just sort of like um and you walk a lot is that i walk a lot too actually i do a lot of walking but like right now i'm kind of bummed out about my walking because i'm walking the same place all the time i like did it for a while and i was like this is good i've like fallen into a rhythm and now i'm like at first you walk a route and you like notice the big things then you start Mm -hmm. to notice other things and you can direct your attention elsewhere and you can like but now i'm just like Ah, gotta gotta walk some other places. But yeah. I actually that one's probably better. I, I take Jim's suggestion. But generally I, I do think like walking around cities or walking around places with lots of like complex stuff uh is really stimulating. Totally agree. Yeah. I'm I'm re hijacking. Um that was one of my favorite parts of this experience was like I didn't like a year went by and I was like, I don't even know if I know how to drive a car anymore. Yeah. Um which but it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay. Lessons to a like a uh, a future leader hoping to follow a path similar to yours. Um, what, what advice would you give that person? I would say a couple of things. One is to try to find like inspiration in a broad range of places. I, I think oftentimes like it, it's one thing to like look down the narrow channels of like research that has been done in your area and like try to read up on it and figure out what's going on and what the state of the science is. I think that's a great idea. But I think also like, um, find, I mean, like I was talking before about fiction, like find, like read a lot of good fiction. Um, like just continue. I, I've, I think like one of the threads through this, my like life up until now has been the idea that I've tried to like link disparate things and like make them make mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was often like being someone who is like really into um, this like specific action sport, um, and also like was interested in in like philosophy. And maybe those things don't seem so far apart, um, 
hopefully, you know, maybe that's if I'm, I'm doing it effectively, it's because I'm able, I've found like some connections and I can draw them. But like life is so big, like don't limit yourself, like pursue all the parts of yourself. Um, and uh, that will make for better operation in any given silo that you identify as the one that's most important to you. Like, I, I think I am the best researcher when I am reading unrelated fiction and when I'm getting a lot of exercise and like, uh, just for example. Um, so I'd say keep, keep your eyes on, on like what the good life is. Um, more, more Aristotle. I, we don't need an outro. That was unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you. All right, done. Thanks for being with us today. Um, we're going to do this again. I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. oh, God, I want to do it. I would love to do it again. Thank you, Jim, for having me. If you'd like to hear more from Eric, keep an eye out for his upcoming article at beyondstrength.net. Beyondstrength.net is an online platform highlighting stories of coaches using the weight room, the field, and in this case, the skate park, to teach lessons that transfer into all areas of life. Find it at beyondstrength.net or under the blog tab at goodathleteproject.com.